0: Our first reading today is on page 1075, and it is Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 13. So page 1075, Romans chapter 12, beginning to read at verse 13. And it's all about our part in the body of Christ, the church. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And all of this is possible through love in action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. And now, if you are able, will you please stand for the gospel reading, which can be found on page 1023, and it's John chapter 15, and just two verses, but what verses? Verses 12 to 13. John Chapter 15, verses 12 to 13, page 1,223. This is what Jesus says to the church and to us individually. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the gospel of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Just like to, uh, to start with a prayer, please. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak this morning. I pray you bless us with your presence of the Holy Spirit, that you've, uh, you give me the words to say, and that your message is heard here this morning. Amen. Wow, there's a lot to unpack in that. That's Two verses or two, two bits of reading, there's an awful lot in there. Um, what I'd like to do is to focus on three big topics over the next 20 minutes or so um, that relate to the subject of today's talk, which is about real community. So just as a warm-up to get the brain cells going, what do people think of when they hear the phrase real community? Anybody want to shout out? Street pastors, Street working in the community, being seen in the community. Caring caring for people, absolutely, loving your, loving your neighbor there's a the the bit in John's Gospel was about love and how we love each other, being vulnerable, and sharing. vulnerable and sharing absolutely kind of difficult to do for some people, but it's something that you know is part of being in the community. Nursing. What's that Bob nursing. nursing absolutely proper actual care rather than just sort of um uh, praying for someone and caring for someone, actually physically helping someone. There's lots of, lots of elements in there that are part of community, and what I've done is I've looked through those passages, and I've come up with three main topics, which are love, not a small topic and something we could probably do an entire church season on, unity, and finally, hospitality, because right at the end um, of the first message, um, there was two words, practice, hospitality. So let's start with love. In the passage in John's Gospel, it says, Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, this is quite challenging. Firstly, it's a command rather than a request or a suggestion. This is something we're told by Jesus we have to do. Do you think love is something that can happen by command? It's not really, no. It's tricky. Whenever I've experienced love, it's always been something that kind of just is or happens. And love is a verb. You can love someone, but it's also, it's an emotion. Um, and you can't just turn that on or off. It's a feeling that can grow and shrink and not something you can really command to happen. And what I've found is that love, when forced, often appears quite shallow and unreal. Um, there was another bit in in the Romans passage about I think it was love must be real or can't remember the exact words in there, um, but it has to be real, it has to be a real feeling. Um, in our last church, there were two women who really did not like each other, and every time they would get together, uh, every time they were apart, they would whinge about the other person. But as soon as they were in church on a Sunday morning, they were the best friends ever. There was lots of love in the room. There was hugs and kisses and everything. And I look at that and I think, that's, that's not real. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. There's something different there. Um, it's also very worth remembering that Jesus was addressing his disciples at this point um, rather than talking about the wider public. He's actually talking directly to his disciples. So it's the love we are to have between Christians rather than outside the church. That's addressed elsewhere. Jesus is focusing on telling his disciples how they are supposed to feel about each other. The second thing is that Jesus says they should love each other as he has loved them. Now, that's a pretty high bar to set. Um, Jesus was saying this full in the knowledge that he's going to soon die on the cross and show his love for the world. Now, I'm not suggesting we need to sacrifice ourselves to show our love for one another. But perhaps there's an element of self-sacrifice that will help us to follow that command. Self-sacrifice means a sacrifice of one's interests, desires, desires, as for the duty or the good of another. Now, I think this is more achievable for us. Thinking about someone else above yourself. I mean, this could be something as simple as uh, a guy offering to watch a romantic comedy with his other half instead of putting an action movie on. It's putting something else in front of somebody else's thoughts and feelings in front of yours. It could be offering to stay behind at church to help with putting away the chairs rather than heading off. It could mean giving up an hour of your week to phone someone who you know would really, really benefit from that. All of these are demonstrations of the the love that Jesus is commanding us to have. But we're not alone in this. It's worth remembering if we're struggling to find that love in our hearts, we can ask God for help. We can ask him to find a way to resolve any issues we have. um, Mend the the gaps in our relationships or even just flood us with love for people. God's going to help us on this one. So even though we've got that command, he's going to be there for us. Now, if we're able to love one another in that way, then we have the second point I wanted to talk about, which was unity. The Romans passage states that in Christ, though many, sorry, in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Now, that indicates we're all part of One entity, organization, or even gang. The relationships in these groups of Christians are cemented with God's love. And this is exactly the sort of love that Jesus commands us to have. Now, there are always disagreements, differences of opinion, uh, and, and differences of ideas in groups and of people. Christians no exception. There's lots of things that can cause friction in relationships. But we need to keep it in mind that we are commanded to love the people we are disagreeing with and that we have God's love keeping us together. Knowing that we have this love can help us to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and try and understand their point of view. Also, knowing that the other person loves you helps not to take disagreements as personal attacks. Um, it might make it easier for you to apologize. If you believe that the other person loves you, as Jesus commanded us, it makes it easier. Now, earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus illustrates uh, unity in the church by comparing himself to um, the vine, and that we are the branches from, coming out from that vine. Basically, we're all part of the same plant, um, and we all have different parts that join together to allow that plant to live, thrive, and, and survive. So could anyone name a part of a plant? The leaf. Okay, so the leaf, that's a part of a plant that gathers the sunlight, helps with photosynthesis, which helps to process all the nutrients. Any other parts of a plant? The stem. Okay, so Jesus was referring to himself as the the stem of the vine, the bit that holds it all together in that one. Roots. Roots, Absolutely, very important. They form a stable anchor in the ground. Uh, They bring all the nutrients up from the ground, (coughs) and without them, the plant would would not survive. Fruit. Fruit, absolutely. So in order for a plant to reproduce... Um, uh, the plant bears fruit, uh, that falls on the ground, it has the seeds and all the nutrients to help another plant grow. Water. water. is taken into a plant, absolutely. Without water, the plant would not survive. The only other one I've got on my list here is flowers, which attracts um, insects to pollinate and produce, uh, and uh, basically produce the fruit that then produces other plants. So, all of those items, all of those elements, form a plant but without any any of those are missing that plant would not survive now church is like that there's lots of people in church each with their own unique talents um, and we make up the church as a whole and god has blessed everyone with the option to be individual as it says in the passage we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us god has blessed us with these gifts And they are all needed and vital to make the church thrive, just as the vine in Jesus' example. Even on Sunday morning, we can see how all those various anointings have been brought together. So in the passage in Romans, there's a number of different um, ways of of, of being in church. Um, Serving. So there are people who are anointed with that, the gift of serving. They want to put the chairs out, serving at the hatch, making everything ready, that kind of thing, handing out Bibles. Um, there's people who teach, uh, people who preach in the sermons and also people who preach in or teach the kids in the, the youth work. There's people who, who give generously. They give their time um, in setting up the hall. The guys who work in the band, they're there on, um, on a Saturday morning practicing, getting ready, making sure it's all good for everybody. There's people who lead. Um, David steered us through the, the service this morning um, and uh, they make things happen. There was also people who are here today who make decisions for the church as a whole. And there's also people who show mercy. Um, The guys in the healing team who were praying for people who were coming to them in need, and they were praying for them. So the church could happen with some of these roles absent, but with all of the people in these (coughs) roles present, the activity is shared between many, and we're all working for God's kingdom with the same love for each other in our hearts. Everyone is different and everyone has their part to play in church. But all together we're working for the kingdom. And a phrase I heard this week, which really, really rings true, is unity, but not uniformity. We're all together working for God, but we're all different and we all have our part to play. So Paul's very specific about how we should feel about all these different roles in the church. At the start of that passage he says... Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. God has anointed us specific gifts to bless the church and each other, just in the same way some of us are tall or not so tall. We're each designed to fit in a way uh, with each other in the church. An example from last week was at Jane's party. I arrived uh, with... um, uh, at the party, knowing that the kids would disappear off into the holy melee of bouncy castles, bubble machines, and the conga, um, and, I'd there, and I'd be left to mingle with the other owners in the room. Um, now, I'm a classic Myers-Briggs introvert. Okay, after a few conversations, I am completely peopled out. And at that point, I don't really want to be mingling and, and having small talk with people, yeah? But thankfully, Lise came over and gave me a job to do. And I'd much rather be busy doing that than sitting having small talk with people. I'd much rather be serving than being served. Um, Similarly, um, there's other people um, who are the Myers-Briggs extroverts who are energized by talking to lots of people in a room. And these guys are perfectly suited to being on a, a welcome team. They see people coming in they've not met before. They remember the fact that they've not met them before. Um, they shake their hands, they ask them how they're doing, who they are, they link them up with people in the church. All of this stuff is, is a brilliant um, way of bringing people in. And extroverts are great at doing that. Both of those types of people are needed in our church to do various things. But neither of those roles, extrovert or introvert, is better. Neither of those things can be judged higher than the other. They're both needed to work together to fulfill those rules in our church. I mean, just because someone stands at the front and gives a talk on a Bible passage doesn't make them more holy or in any way more gifted. For me, um, I just have a heart for making things in the Bible personal and relatable to people, giving them personal testimony and encouraging them to think about God's word, uh, how it relates to them, and actually impacts their lives. It's just one of the roles in the church that needs to be filled, and through prayer, my heart says it's, it's something I should do. I'm sure there's something in your heart that... God's telling you to do as well. So why not pray into it and give it a go? Now, it's worth noting that Paul's letter to the Romans was written to not one large church, but to many smaller churches. Um, And they were all based in Rome at the time. So in Romans uh, 16, uh, there's a a bit there that says, uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks and to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. More than one church. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, I'd never come across that before. I'd always thought that Romans was was written to a large church and was the sort of thing that would have been read out or or put on a notice board for everyone to see. But this is lots of little churches, which are kind of a bit like our midweek groups, our small groups that we have. Um, But the same idea of that vine, the same idea of the multiple roles, appears in a small group. There's people who lead and facilitate. There's people who share their house, share their tea and their coffee, and if you're really lucky, they share their cake as well. Um, There's those that pray with mercy for others, those that encourage. It's the same as with the big church on a Sunday. The difference is that with fewer people, you get the chance to try things without fear of embarrassment. If you've read a passage in the week um, that's actually touched your heart, there's no reason why you can't bring that to church on a Sunday, but it's a bit easier to bring it to a smaller group of people. Um, You can have a go at worship. You might be a bit wary about joining a worship band, but in a small group, you can have a go at worship. There's there's fewer people there, and there's lots of encouragement. And even if your small group has lots of worship leaders, you can join in, or you'll be encouraged to have a go at stuff. It's a lot easier to do that with a small bunch of people who you've got a close relationship than a big room of 200 on a Sunday, and some people of that group who you don't actually know yet. And that's another big benefit of small groups, which is building relationship. Um, I don't know how about you guys. Sunday mornings to me are a bit of a blur. Um, I, I come in, I'm wrangling the kids, There's a few people I need to speak to. Um, I'm catching up with friends if I get a chance. I'm probably on a road for something, so I'm thinking, am I supposed to be doing this? Uh, There's the little memory stick for the podcast I've got to remember. The whole load of feeling quite overawed with it all. And I don't really get the time to engage and chat to people, um, which is what I want to do. I don't get a chance to know people very well on Church on a Sunday. And certainly, I don't really get to tell people much about myself and share stories apart from when I'm up here. So getting together with a small group um, for a midweek church gives people the opportunity to build those relationships better. And it gets them, they can share their experiences, share their stories, and listen to other people. Part of building that community is doing life together. And part of, or even starting a small group, is a vital part of for, forming the relationships needed to do that. Now, relationships are formed when we meet and do stuff together which brings me to the last point, which is about hospitality. So what do people think of when they hear the word hospitality? So, Bob? Bring and, share. Bring and share, sharing stuff. Yeah, food, food? <laughs> always, always a good one. Where's the one from over here? Cake, always important, Absolutely. Cake and wine, yeah, all good. (laughs) So hospitality means lots of different things. Um, It can be inviting someone over for dinner, so the food aspect. Uh, It can be asking someone to go for a coffee and probably a slice of cake too. Um, It can be inviting a bunch of people out to a pub or out to do a thing or just offering someone a lift. That's all hospitality. Um, Dictionary.com says that hospitality is the friendly reception or treatment sorry, the friendly reception or treatment of guests or strangers. It's about sharing what you have with others in a friendly and giving way. And it's worth noting that Paul says, practice hospitality. He's not saying to start with a three-course meal followed by charades in the drawing room. The challenge is to practice hospitality. Invite someone over to spend a bit of time even if it's just for a chat. You don't need to put on a massive spread to be hospitable. Just be friendly to the people you invite. There's an expectation in the world that we need to be the absolute perfect hosts when people visit. But with the love that Jesus spoke about in that bit from John, no one's going to be judging your hospitality. If you remember keeping up appearances off of the 80s or 90s with Hyacinth Bouquet, everything had to be perfect every time anyone came round. That's not reality reality is people just want to spend time with people and that's what that love that Jesus was talking about is about the first time you you practice hospitality if you've not done it before it might not go perfectly but it's still going to be meaningful to the person you've invited over and it doesn't need to be expensive it just needs someone to do that inviting someone to extend that invitation to someone So, I mean, I've heard feedback from people in this church and in my previous church um, that they were coming to church on Sunday. They were members of the church, but they still felt isolated. They felt lonely. They were on the fringe. They weren't part of that community. Now, these are people with gifts to bring. They've got experiences to share. They've got needs that need to be met. They're part of our community. They're part of our church and part of God's kingdom. And yet they feel isolated. They feel disconnected. Now, I'm sure no one in church wants anyone to feel that way. I know lots of people already open their house to people for meals, gatherings, groups, and and, uh, meetings, small groups, that kind of thing. But practicing hospitality is something everyone can do. And and, uh, as per that passage, everyone should do. So just to summarize um, the things we talked about. We're told by Jesus to love one another as he loved us. We're told to Jesus that we should remember each of us has gifts to bring that are needed to make the church whole and in order to build relationships in our community. And we're also told we need to take action and spend time with each other. So my final question for everyone for you this week is, who are you going to spend time with from church this week? Thank you.